1: welcome ladies and gentlemen to a very special episode here today not only is it myself and fred morland but we have joining us from the super j cast mr joel abraham and joel i'm going to start here because we got an interesting question from the discord that i really want your opinion on and it's from evil trident um what is the most outlandish eight-man match new japan and aw could put together that the people would want to turn off their tv and i ask you this because i i I know that you will have an answer that'll just put me on the floor laughing.
2: Uh, Well, the easy answer would be House of Torture versus House of Black. But I think House of Black are maybe a little bit, I I sort of like them too much for them to be uh, instant turnoff. Also,
3: AEW fans should be very used to to interference at this point in time.
1: That's, that's very true. Well, uh, Joel, we are absolutely thrilled to have you on. How are things going for you? Um, I, I be, you are in Thailand, correct?
2: Uh, that is correct. For at least another month, then moving back to the UK. But, yeah, it is uh, 9 p.m. over here. I've got two sleeping children next to me, so this is ideal uh, situation for recording podcasts. But uh, weirdly enough, the sound of me talking about pro wrestling seems to soothe them to sleep. So we're all good. Oh,
1: you you had a gold mine there Joel that is that is phenomenal and we're we're really excited to talk to you about this interesting forbidden door card um, obviously we've we've known the top two matches for some time and this past week on collision and dynamite they've given us quite a bit more um uh, one thing that I'm curious about is after last year, the build was really wonky and that wasn't necessarily the fault of tony and Gato. it was just everything bad decided to happen to them all at once um how did you feel about this year's building compared to last year
2: oh it's way better it's way more coherent i mean last year was a snake bit show for all the reasons that you've mentioned yet in spite of that it was still a bloody fun show and i really enjoyed watching it in spite of myself because i looked at that cards and to be honest, I was hand waving it. I was like, this, "This could be a disaster," but it wasn't. You know, the crowd was great. Everyone had the working boots on, and it had just a, a brilliant energy to it. So, I'm expecting and hoping for the same. And we have a way better build this year. There's some, been some really good coherent storytelling between the two companies, which uh, has uh, surprised me, if I'm honest. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to be a killer show. Fred,
1: how about you? what what is, what is your take on the bill? I know we've had some some discussions on it here before.
3: It's nice to have a, a bill that isn't ruined by external factors uh, for once. Uh, I mean, I say for once, like there's been more than two of these. Uh, but, you know, it's it's been nice to actually watch a car get built in a uh, meaningful way rather than just like on a weekly basis going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. <laughs> Who got hurt this week? Yeah. Uh, And uh, we only lost uh, what would have been a women's world championship match of uh, Mercedes Monet and probably Tony Storm, maybe Jamie Hayter if she wasn't injured. Um, uh, But yeah, I mean, I I think I'm pretty excited. I actually went right after the show last night and I went ahead and purchased it, uh, mainly because I do this show. But, you know, it's good to avoid the whole uh, BR live can't handle more than 20 people trying to order at once deal um yeah i'm pretty excited i'm looking forward to this and uh i would not be shocked if it's the show of the year again yeah this is this
1: is shaping up to be a great show and i i really liked um what joel said about the the build being more coherent Mm -hmm. because i think that's that that's the perfect word for it everything just seems to be flowing nicely they like tony khan loves his announcements so they kind of slow rolled some of these matches and like Two weeks ago, we had Sonata and Hiroshi Tanahashi making challenges. Jungle Boy accepted that, and then MJF obviously whined like MJF does. And then this week we had more announcements. And then spoiler, Rampage has an announcement for an, another match. And I like that slow roll to continue the momentum while continuing to build up those top two matches. I just I think it's been really really nice. Um, I know it's I I, I wonder, Joel. Uh, from your perspective, how this is kind of viewed by uh, some of the new Japan fans out there, because new Japan is, I I don't know what the right phrasing is. So I'm going to phrase it like this. They're, they're notorious for just putting entire cards out there. Significant amount of time in advance, like whether it be like two, three, even like up to like four weeks, Uh, how do new Japan fans feel about kind of like the slow roll or do they just like to have everything right away? Or is it, does it really not
2: matter? I think the top two matches for this show are so strong that the rest of the undercard is immaterial really. People, I think New Japan fans and AW fans are so excited by the prospect of Okada versus Danielson and Osprey versus Omega 2 that the strength of that alone means they could fill up the undercard with anything, like the multi-man tags were so good last year that even the new japan fans are not hand waving those like they know they're going to be really fun uh, i mean weirdly the complaints that i have seen is that there's too many singles matches on this card uh whereas they would again they would have been happy enough with those really two strong sort of main event and co-main event and some fun wacky uh multi-man tag matches crossovers that you never thought you'd see before so uh yeah strangely enough the only complaints i've heard are about things like uh punk versus kojima and uh sonata versus jungle boy where people weirdly i think would have rather have seen them in multi-man tag matches
1: that's fascinating and uh you know what let's jump right into the car joel and uh let's start there uh with what you just mentioned and that is the iwgp world heavyweight championship match sonata versus jungle boy i i find this match fascinating for a lot of levels one because they're two of the best looking wrestlers um out there today And you obviously have all the jokes about the handsome battle, but you look at jungle boy and you look at Sonata and it's not always a one-to-one like, Hey, you know, this guy's a junior and challenging for the, the heavyweight title, but jungle boy looks like a junior. He only weighs about 165 pounds, but obviously in America, he's presented in a different fashion. He isn't presented like he's a junior. He's presented like he's a standard heavyweight. Uh, how are you looking at this match in those terms? And then kind of in a much broader perspective, because it's it's a match that could easily be anywhere from like three stars to four and a half, just with how these two individuals work.
2: I think the match will be really good. I think both guys are going to be working very hard to impress people and prove that that was wrong. But unfortunately, it was just one of these things where we knew from the start that, Whoever Sanada was paired against, it, it was going to be uh, a match that on paper would have no interest to the AEW fans because they're not into Sanada and no interest to the New Japan fans because they were never going to give him an opponent that the New Japan fans would be into just because of all the politics involved. And I mean, I've said to to Damon on the J-Cast that Forbidden Door was never about giving Sanada a dream match. And it's not really about dream IWGP heavyweight title defenses either so I think it was quite smart for New Japan to move their world title away from people that they wanted the dream matches for and put it on Sonada. so it was immaterial really who he was going to be facing now I can kind of understand where Jack Perry came from as a challenger I know he's been challenging for the AEW world title fairly recently he's not exactly a jobber or anything but it was just really interesting to see Sanada's comments because he's leaning into these gripes. So he said, uh, I quote, I have no knowledge of Jack Perry. It's sad to see someone like that challenge for the IWGP. Is it an open challenge really that easy to decide? It's the IWGP. I think it's worth more than the AEW Championship. So I do like that from Sanada that he is, you know, trying to make something out of this and uh, leaning into some of the comments that I've seen from New Japan fans. Because, like, personally, my only gripe was that the way the match, uh, the, the matchmaking played out on dynamite the fact that he threw out this open challenge and there was only one member of the AEW roster who expressed any interest in it. Like I said before, it would have been nice to have, I don't know, a qualifying match or a battle royal or at least you know two guys having an argument over it. You think Sanada saying, okay, I'm holding the top prize in New Japan, come and get it. And then just one dude going, yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds interesting. I'll give it though. that was the only thing that I had a, a complaint about because it made the IWGP title look weak, but like I said before, it, it it's all politics. So I don't really have a problem with a match. It's not what I'm tuning into Forbidden Door to see. So the fact that he is getting a singles match and a, a title defense at that, I see that as a bonus, an unexpected bonus because I thought we would just get just five guys in uh, a tag match.
1: Considering the state of the card, and uh, I'll we'll start with you, Joel, and then I want your opinion on this too, Fred. Uh, it looks like this. IWGP title match is going to probably be fourth or fifth on the card, and potentially third, depending on how uh, the politics get slotted with the AEW World Title. Uh, do you see that as a a, a detriment and um, like, for lack of a better term, a stain on the World Title because it is viewed with this such high prestige, but it being so low on the card? Obviously, this is kind of a, a weird instance with it being like a super show, but. It's very rare that you ever see the IWGP World Championship defended below the top spot.
2: I don't have a problem with it. I've not seen any complaints about it. I don't think, you know, even the most uh, hardcore New Japan fan would have been demanding for Sanada to be in the main event of Forbidden Door. Like I said, it, the Forbidden Door is not about getting a, a sexy Sanada match. Um, ironic, really, considering both of the Pants and Chaps are going to be contesting it, but no, I think it's fine. Everyone's tuning in because they want those two dream matches at the top. So, uh, zero complaints about wherever it's put if it's third, fourth. I don't care, I just want to see the cool matches at the top of the card.
3: Fred, how about you? Uh, you know, I, I agree with Joel, uh, in terms of I think that they could have done this in a way that would have made the IWGP heavyweight title uh, more prestigious. Uh, It did feel very much like uh, Jack Perry just happened to be hanging out backstage. It was like, oh, what the hell? (laughs) Rather than it being like a really desirable title, which it should be presented as. Um, But uh, ignoring that, and, you know, it's such a trope in American wrestling that there'll be an open challenge, and then, oh, surprise, just one guy comes out, even though it's, you know, every, like, lower card guy on the show should be clamoring for the opportunity. But, I, you know, I think it, you know, I think it's exactly where it's going to be this year. I think in a future year, if Okada comes into the um, comes into the show, the Forbidden Door Three as the champ, it'll be placed much higher on the card. Uh, but you know, in terms of like the reality of Sonata as the world champ right now, and uh, the fact that he's not particularly super over in the states. Um, I mean, I would, I actually think like Ishii and Suzuki would be more over, um, and will be more over on the show than Sonata. Um, but you know, if you ignore all that, like it's, it's exactly where it probably should be. Um, it is, you know, it could even open the show. I reckon, uh, just to give a kind of a featured slot, but it'll be, uh, like a 20 minute match tops and, you know, it'll be pretty darn good. So that's kind of where I am too. I, I like that. Jungle
1: Boy was the one who accepted the open challenge. Obviously, they're they're sexier opponents. They're better opponents than Jungle Boy. But his story this year being that he's trying so hard to win a singles title of some form. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's already gone for the TNT. He's already gone for I believe he went for the international um, early in the Orange Cassidy reign. And then he just went for the uh, World Heavyweight title. Uh, going for the IWGP makes sense within the context of what his story is this year, and I I like that continuity. I mean, he's he's not going to win. the The only way that he'd win is if Tanahashi were to beat MJF, and I I don't see those two things happening. Yeah. I think, and, it'd be and frankly,
3: Perry losing here is going to be an important part of the story mm-hmm. that they're telling and him. I think.
1: I agree completely. I, I think it'd be awesome to have Tanahashi with a uh, run with the AW World Title, but Jungle Boy as an IWGP Champion makes absolutely zero sense. So you can't even have that kind of like trade off. You'd, you'd have to have somebody much bigger. Like, if Moxley was challenging for the IWGP, then maybe you can make a switch like that. But that's never going to happen. That's kind of all happenstance, and um, I, I I I find that interesting and. Um, Joel brings up a good point in in our chat uh, that Sonata is barely promoted for the NJPW Strong U.S. events. And yeah, I think it was the last capital collision. He was like fourth from the top in a tag match like that's that that's a really good point. And I I know he's much more over with the Japanese fans than he is with the Western fans, but. That's, that's a significant drop-off, especially as uh, New Japan is trying to be more consistent about running shows in America.
2: I think there's like a tacit admission there, acknowledgement by New Japan, that there is a disconnect between the way Sonata is perceived in Japan and perceived in the States. So uh, like I said, I, I don't think there's any complaints either side. I think it is what it is with Sanada at this point. He's got his fans. Um, I think he's probably doing a little better than people are giving them credit for, but nobody is demanding for him to be at the top of all the, the stuff that they do stateside. It's just not realistic.
3: That does bring me to a question I want to ask you Joel because uh uh one thing that I know uh, Joe Lanza really you know believes in is that uh wow. Sonata is a flop as the world champion for New Japan right now uh, that he's not getting over it. and I did just watch uh, like before we went on air I just finished his defense against uh, Yoda Suji um and the crowd was a hundred percent behind suji in that match so, uh, do, you, do you think Sonata is succeeding as the world champion for New Japan? Uh, or do you think that there's still kind of a struggle to establish him as a uh, as a top of the card guy?
2: He's just been positioned in an interesting way. In as much as, like, when he was the challenger, I think the fans were really into him. The run that he had in the New Japan Cup, like, you watch the final he had against Finlay or you watch the, the title challenge against Okada, the fans were behind him. They were making noise for him. But the defences he's had have been against Hiromu, who is like this ultra-populous, like transcendental uh, junior star that everyone loves. And Yota Tsuji, who is this incredibly exciting and dynamic uh, young lion making his comeback and is already exuding star power. So I think those are getting circumstances. I, I wouldn't call him a flop. But okay. a, again, I acknowledge that the crowd are not in as into him as they are with guys, you know, at the very top of the card, you know, your Okadas or your Naitos or your Hiromus. That's a fact, you know, no mm-hmm. one's out here saying that he's getting megastar reactions, but I think it's been overblown. I think the numbers he's doing are fine. I mean, they sold out Don taku I thought that uh, it's really hard to judge the crowd numbers just because post pandemic, you know, uh, there's still a lot of reluctance from Japanese people to go to live events in general. So, I don't think it's fair to compare the numbers now to how they were pre-pandemic. It's just a completely different landscape. So I don't think he's a flop, but I also acknowledge that he is nowhere near as popular as the upper echelons of, of stars in the company. It's an experiment, you know, they're using him as a, a transitional champion, giving him the rub. I don't think he's going to be holding the, he's not going to be doing like an Okada mega reign with it. He's not going to be breaking any title defense records, but um, it's going to give him a bit of shine. and give uh, Just Five Guys a bit of shine. So if that is the the mission statement for this Sonata title run, I think it's it's doing what it's set out to do from the start.
3: Yeah, I agree. And I think Sonata's been actually really good this year. I think I have him in my top 15 in my wrestler of the year tracker I'm doing because I'm a giant nerd. But like every match he's had has been at least four and a quarter stars uh, that I've got out of my way to watch. But I am a New Japan Philisty Casual Uh, so like, I'm not as into it as you are. You know, I try to keep up with it. I haven't watched any of the best of the super junior, but I am almost done with Dominion at this point. Um, I'm very timely. Uh, but yeah, I do think it's very interesting the way new Japan's booked him because it feels like they've almost done a disservice to him. Like they gave gave him the belt to try to, uh, you know, try to help establish him as a top star, kind of like they did with evil a couple years ago, but then they immediately book him against two guys that were pretty obviously going to be like, uh, strong underdog, uh, contenders against him that the crowd will get behind I, I i would have thought it was obvious that both hiromu and uh, suji would have been uh favorites and you know I, i'm surprised they leaned into that that they booked those two matches and uh i feel like it may be it hamstrung sonata a little bit I, I don't know what the long-term effects
2: will be if any but it's just very interesting to me yeah i mean you can extend that to see the booking for the g1 block that he's in because like he's been given this interesting spot where he's been paired up against a lot of these young up and comers and he's like the the veteran hand who's got to guide them through the matches so you look at that block and you see he's going to be facing suji again uh guys like Kiomiya, uh, ren Narita, Shota Umano, even people like gay kids you know the, these are the young hungry up and comers that again i think the crowds are going to be hungry for the upsets there so yet again in this block uh sanada's going to have his back to the wall so I don't think it's an accident. I think there's an intentionality to the way he's being booked.
3: It's very interesting to me. Uh, just uh, I, I wouldn't do it that way, but hey, uh, it's an interesting move.
1: At 100% is Joel, before we move on, I, I, I there's a question I've wanted to ask you because I know you, I am, I am also a big crisp fan. If you had to relate Sonata to a flavor of crisp, uh, <laughs> what would, what would you do?
2: um (laughs) probably ready salted you know he's a he's a safe pick um people who say that that's their favorite are probably a bit boring and not to be trusted Uh, but i I would never turn down. there's a bowl of ready salted crisp there i'll I'll have a few sure but i'm never gonna lie and say it's my favorite
1: hey there's nothing wrong with a good salty crisp i would completely agree let's let's continue on uh let's briefly mention the one pre-show match here and then i want to kind of get into a little bit of a hypothetical we have uh, the Owen Hart Memorial Tournament starting at for um, it's actually starting on Rampage Friday night with uh, Anna JAS versus Sky Blue. Um, and then the pre-show Billy Starks versus Athena, which is a very interesting match in itself that we don't have to get really too far into. I don't think we've seen Billy Starks wrestle in AEW yet.
3: Um, yeah, we did a couple dark matches. Ah, uh, was that a dark rampage? match? Uh I think she was on a rampage I was at but no, I guess I'm mistaken so never mind me.
1: Well, I mean, they, she could have just been wrestling on dark, but yeah. that is the one pre-show match and um I'm I'm really intrigued to see what what else is added to this pre-show because um I believe LIJ is coming in. We know uh Dookie getting the singles rub against Jungle Boy on rampage and according to a uh, lucha blog friend of the site he got a much, much bigger reaction and crowd connection than Jungle Boy did, which rules so much. I love Dookie. Um, uh, I'm curious uh, like, what you guys might think who is going to be on this pre-show, because you'd have to assume that LIJ is probably on here in some, some way, shape, or form because it's LIJ. The lack of Bullet Club inclusion is very interesting considering their popularity in the States as a whole, but last year there were four pre-show matches and I'm curious what else might be added here. And I wondered if you guys had any thoughts on that.
3: My big fear is that it's going to be like the last two pre-shows, which have been like dollar store WWE versions where you get one match and then like 40 minutes of meaningless bullshit from, uh, like a panel of tall Paul and, uh, you know, uh, Stokely Hathaway, and you know, just like nothing, because um, I, I guess it wasn't Forbidden Door last year. I mean, though, I liked the Forbidden Door pre-show last year, but you know, last year we got a what was it, Kingston and Ishii? I think on one of the pre-shows, which was a five-star match for me. And then this year, we're like, hey, do you like the guns? And it's just like, what are we doing, man? I don't if if this, like I said on the, the last uh, pay per view recap, if this is uh, shown to actually work better than the the good pre shows, then capitalism has failed.
1: Yeah, capitalism has failed. That that, that that's going to be the uh, that's going to be the title of a show one of these days, Fred. Joel, um, obviously, it thing uh, this uh, pre show is going to be interesting. I. I'm going to push back a little bit, Fred. I don't think it's going to be a WWE style pre-show. I hope not. Not only, well, you're catering to um, also the Japanese fan base. And that that's not kind of the style. Um, like It's match, match, match. It's much more of a sports format. And I think um, having 40 minutes of a pre-show is not going to convince, like, uh, talking. I mean, it's not going to convince anybody who's a really big fan of, of that promotion to want to buy tickets or, sorry, buy the pay-per-view. Um, Joel, do you have any thoughts on who might be added to this pre-show? And I really want your thoughts on this uh, lack of Bullet Club inclusion.
2: That's a weird one because I guess if you have the Bullet Club on there, then there's a bit of an elephant in the room with the black and gold Bullet Club or whatever they're calling themselves these days. And you know, that sort of sticks out like a sore thumb, the fact that there's nothing for Jay White on this card. Because you think that given his history and everything, the, the way the acrimonious way in kayfabe you know he was booted out of new japan that he would figure quite prominently into a, a forbidden door event but th- there's nothing there i mean i think it would be cool to have you know, maybe on the pre-show or the undercards some sort of multi-man where you know we get Finlay and Connors and dan maloney and, and get kid and now it's uh against i don't know some equivalent team that's like an aw team of jobbers that they can beat because i don't think new japan would want their bullet club taking a loss so i don't know if there's a group of aw guys that they could get a win over i don't think there's anything announced for bishamon yet so maybe goto and yoshihashi could make an appearance at some point um i could see a a multi-man team like just five guys team of like kanemaru and doki or whoever they they could probably be staring at the lights for someone so um yeah there's, there's a few options out there
1: yeah, this this pre-show is—I I really don't think it's over because uh, Athena versus Billy Starks does not scream. Hey, let's buy this pay-per-view to me. Um, let's let's continue on. We have a lot lot to talk about here with this show. Um, this is this one's interesting, and we we had a little bit of forward here. We're gonna get Jer- Chris Jericho and Sting in the ring wrestling each other for the first time ever. Which, considering all their crossover, uh, and I use air quotes there. Um, on WCW, uh, they've never faced off in the ring, which is fascinating to me. Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki, who this hired gun thing by uh, Jericho and Suzuki, it just feels like they're they're just pals having a blast. It, I love watching those two wrestle together in the ring versus Sting, Darby Allin, and a mystery opponent. And I, I think the, the conductive reasoning has decided that it's going to be Tetsuya Naito, especially with uh, Sting saying like it's uh, an enemy of his that he's made in New Japan uh, in the promo this week on Dynamite. But this match, especially with what we saw from last year in the trios match with the, the young bucks and El Fantasmo, like this could end up being a lot of fun. And I I'm, I'm very excited, but if it's not Naito, who could it be that? And I think that's, that's another interesting discussion because of the lack of LIG inclusion just as a whole on the show so far. Um, Joel, what are, your, what are your thoughts here on this match and how excited are you to see Sting in a ring again?
2: Yeah, these are the kind of matches that I'm here for, for Forbidden Door, The one that you mentioned last year, what was it? Darby Allen, Sting and Shingo against ELP and the Bucks. That was great yeah. and no one was circling that one thinking, oh yeah, this is this is gonna be a killer match, but it was it was just so much fun and all those neat little interactions that you never thought you'd see. Um, I mean, in terms of the mystery partner, I'm 99 percent sure it is Naito. So I wouldn't sort of go overthinking that one. Uh Shingo was tweeting about it, but yeah, I think Naito's the play. He's got history with Suzuki, he's got history with Jericho. So uh hopefully that will be a, a, a cool pop when he gets uh, announced for that one. And yeah, it should be a really fun match like this is i think the spirit of forbidden door when you get these kind of mishmash teams not necessarily a new japan team against an AEW team but when you're, you're mixing them up and you've got your good guys on one side your bad guys on the other that's that's what everyone's here for it's a it's a fun time
1: yeah I, I i'm really intrigued if naito ends up on this team does naito paint his face and i think to me that that's that's the fun element that i'm waiting to see
3: There's no way, right? Like you, you know, he's too tranquilo to do that, right? You, you would think, but
1: who knows, man? It, it's Sting has some magical powers, and I, I, I don't mean that in reality. It's, it's just Sting. He's got an aura.
3: I did pop for uh, Brian Cage uh, being face painted, despite being against Sting in a match. Like what was it last week or the week before? Uh, that. I, I just uh, I love that Brian Cage could not control his markedness for staying to the point that he was like, well, I'm going to try to beat him up, but I'm also going to do the face paint, because he rules.
1: Yeah. One one last thing here, Joel. Do you think there's any chance that he does the face paint, or am I just that trying to fantasy book myself to oblivion?
2: I can't see it. It would seem um antithetical to the, the, the spirit of Naito, where most of the time he doesn't give a fuck. So I think would we'll be lucky if he takes his t-shirt off so don't hold your breath and face pain.
1: <laughs> yeah that's a very good point let's let's continue on that that's probably going to be uh that's a contender for match of the night outside of the top two because i think those two are going to be so unworldly that it, it's going to be hard to compare anything else on the card to them um uh, the 10-man f- tag you have the blackpool combat club with Kenosuke Takeshita and Shooter versus the Hong Bucks Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii and this was set up really nicely on Dynamite this past week a little disjointed Eddie Kingston basically saying uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend and but then he goes and says that he doesn't respect the elite and it's just a, a weird fit and then Ishii gets his appearance on these shows and the United States fans would love Tomohiro Ishii and it it's going to be interesting how the dynamics of this whole match work because you have the dynamics with Kingston and John Moxley, Kingston and Claudia Castagnoli. ishii has got history with John Moxley, and then Shooter is on the heel team and he's going to uh, be dressed up like a, a Hiroshi Tanahashi cosplay. So how how the dynamics of this match really shape out are fascinating to me, um, Fred. I'll start with you uh, here. How do you think this match goes down? And I'm guessing that this is probably going to set up some form of blood and guts.
3: Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, I think it's going to be a big old uh, cluster um, intentionally and in a good way. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I don't think this is exactly going to be, uh, you know, clean wrestling. I think there's going to be a lot of brawling, a lot of chaos. Um, I I think that the Kingston setting up the match being disjointed is just what you get when it's Kingston. Um, I I would not have been... uh, Shocked at all if he came out and said, Hey, yo, I'm going to do me. And you know who else does them? Master Watto. Or just, you know, something like Doki. Uh, It's just entirely within the realm for Kingston. But, you know, his entire KFA motivation is just hating Claudio Castagnoli a whole lot. (laughs) Like, way too much. And, um, you know, he, he sees an opportunity to fight Claudio, and so he will be here to fight Claudio. Um... I, I did think that it was uh, kind of... I would have liked to have seen Ishii uh, get a little shine after he was announced instead of immediately being mauled to death by BCC. It would have been nice to like have to bump around for him a little bit and then have Danielson sneak in and take out his knee or something like that. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think this match will rock. Uh, it'll probably be a, a big vibes match, not because of a lack of talent in the ring, because the ring is absolutely packed, but I think that... This is going to be a really heated match. Uh, you got Takeshita, you got um, Don Callis, the greatest heel in history as of right now. Um, I don't know. This this looks very intriguing to me. It looks very exciting.
1: Joel, how are you feeling about this? This is a, a it's got a decent amount of crossover with New Japan, but this is obviously continuing the Elite versus the Black Bull Combat Club story. Um, was one my main thought here is I kind of want your opinion on Shooter. Because he's he's a very interesting character, especially uh, with his um, interactions with John Moxley, because it's almost like he's that uh, he's like the whole wrestler cosplay where he's just playing pro wrestler. And it, I think it really shows up in a lot of these moments, but it also kind of exposes another element for him where he becomes a like a little bit of a badass where he shows a little bit more fire when he's with Moxley and. Um, What are your overall thoughts on kind of how this
2: will play out? I think AEW are really good at laying out these multi man matches. So I'm expecting this one to be a lot of fun. And they're usually structured in a way where it's sort of built to give shine to one or two particular wrestlers. Like, it's not going to be every single wrestler gets the exact same amount of time. So I'm curious as to, like, last year, the match that Shota was in, that was, again, structured really well to give him the spotlight and give him some shine. So I'm curious to see whether they do that again or if it's going to be someone else like Takeshita. I don't know who else it could be. I'm looking like maybe Utah. Like Presumably you want to use this as a vehicle to give some shine to one of the younger guys in the match. So it could be Shooter again. But I think he Shooter is at his best when he's got his back to the wall and he's basically getting the shit kicked out of him by someone else. And I think he's really started to shine as he's been embroiled in this kind of cold feud with uh, Okada. I say cold in as much as they haven't faced each other in a singles match and they're not in the same G1 block. But there is something there, you know, this is ho- o- Okada's whole vibe of just um, kicking the shit out of all the, the Zoomers that he doesn't like. So I would like to see more of this in this match. I want to see Show to get a bit of a kicking and he just needs a, a few rough edges to take away the the sort of soft pretty boy image that he's got at the moment like you know he's out there tweeting pictures of himself with coffee spilled down his shirt saying oh look I spilled coffee on my shirt come on mate what are you doing like is that something is that the sort of thing I told you Anoki would tweet you know if he was still alive today so he I don't know I would just I would love him to take himself a bit more seriously and ideally what i would want is john moxley to turn on him and tear that stupid jacket into several pieces and shove him up his ass basically and yeah just kick his head in a bit i think that would do shooter a lot of good but i don't necessarily think that's going to happen in this match but um that is my one fantasy booking hope for 2023 that we get moxley turning on shorter
1: oh that that would lead to some really really fun matches and i i would love to see how moxley could really get more out of showed up because there there is something there and this whole shooter and roughneck persona where he's almost like trying to trying to cross the two he's, he's that kid in high school who wants to be emo but is wearing abercrombie and Fitch, and uh, is the star quarterback of the football team like that the two things just really don't work together unless you're just this next level pantheon of special wrestler and I would really love to see Moxley just beat the ever living crap out of him. I think that'd be that would make for a lot of fun storyline in uh, in Japan, and then you can obviously bring a show to over here a time or two to continue that story, and that it, that could be a really fun cross promotional thing, especially um, after we potentially get that uh, singles match with uh, Okada, which I I'm guessing might happen at the Dome. Maybe I'm overthinking myself a little bit, but. That I think that is something that I would be very, very interested in.
2: Yeah, if not that, you know, maybe even a, a G1 quarterfinal or semifinal. I'd have to look at the blocks again to see if that's a possibility. But uh, no smoke without fire. It does look like it's something they're building to in the long term, if not within this calendar year.
1: I do think that it, you would be able to get them in the semifinal because you, you have... Uh, the possibility of Okada Kiyomiya in the semis, therefore, you would also have the potential of uh, Shota and Okada in the semis, and then you could also you could do Okada Kiyomiya and then Okada Shota in the finals if you really wanted to be ballsy, but that would be that was probably a little bit too early for Shota. There's there's definitely the ability to make some stuff happen. Um, so I, I'm fascinated to see where this goes. Any other th- thoughts on? Uh, this 10-man tag before we move on here, gentlemen. Not
3: particularly. I'm just looking forward
1: to it. Yeah, this this looks like it could, it could be a lot of fun. Another match that wasn't one that we necessarily thought of being fun, but it looks like it could be a lot of fun. And that is um, the Cookie Monster himself, CM Punk versus Satoshi Kojima, which also is a first-round match in the Owen Hart Tournament. Um, which will kick off at forbidden door. And then we'll uh, continue on the following Thursday on the collision taping in Hamilton, Ontario with the rest of the first round matches. Now the hope was that we were going to get the battle of the go to sleep with Kenta. That didn't happen for a myriad of reasons and which we could go on and on about, but look at the end of the day, it's not happening. We can just move on. But Kojima, Whenever he's put in a singles match, he always works hard. It's always fun. He's going to lariat the hell out of CM Punk at some point. Then he's going to take the pin. It's going to be a really fun match, and I'm very excited for it. Um, Joel, uh, how excited are you for another Satoshi Kojima match?
2: Uh, I'm not going to lie. Like When I was told yesterday, uh, because let's throw some flowers at me. I had the exclusive there uh, about the, the change of the match. Um, I just burst out laughing. I could not believe that they, they pulled the plug on the Punk versus Kenta match because that was the one that made all the sense in the world. But uh, I'm not going to incur the wrath of, uh, of either count by <laughs> sharing what I heard or who was responsible for that because, uh, you know, there's different parties out there leaking their side of the story. You know, you ask Fightful and they're saying that uh, Kenta pulled out. Uh, you're asking Dave Meltzer or all the people I talk to, they're saying that it was uh, Punk who who pulled creative control on that. Um, But either way, I actually think that the Kojima replacement is an upgrade for in-ring quality, if not a downgrade for the story, because as much as it pains me to say, I think Kent has cooked at this point. All his matches that he's having at the moment are very heavy on the shenanigans. Uh, He's a guy who I thought was borderline for the G1. He's winning a lot of his matches by low blows and all the the kind of nonsense that you'd expect to see in a House of Torture match, so I think in terms of in-ring quality, Kojima is probably a bit of an upgrade, Uh, and as you said it'll be fun, you know, there's a a bit of the history there, there's that uh, punk video that's doing the rounds from back in the ROH days, that interview he's doing with uh, he's got Samoa Joe sitting next to him and and referencing the Kojima Lariat, Lariat, Lariat. so it should be a lot of fun, Um, just Hopefully, yeah, the, uh, the Lariats don't cause um, Phil any injuries. You know, just keeping my fingers crossed that he stays nice and healthy for whatever they've got planned for him at Wembley. Uh, so, yeah, I would say this is going to be a match that's not going to be too uh, physically uh, taxing for, for Punk. Um, I think they're just going to play it safe, uh, get through all the, the greatest hits, all the, your favourite spots, and and uh, with Kodjima staring at the lights.
3: Should be a nice little three and a half star fair.
2: I'm
1: wondering if this might open the show. And I, I know we we uh, talked about as uh, Odie is very excited about uh, Kojima versus CM Punk as he's just barking at the mic right now. But I, I'm very interested to see if this match opens the show because you, you get the pop of Punk and Kojima can still go. You give them 10 minutes, let them have fun get the crowd really excited with uh coaching because everybody loves a nice little Lariat and bread club is wonderful. As long as you aren't celiac. And I, I think this could be a really good way to open the show. But what fascinates me is overall how they're going to structure out this card, because I don't think you can finish. I mean, you could, but I don't know if they're going to finish the card with Osprey Omega and Okada Danielson one, two, I feel like they're going to have something in the middle to kind of, let, let fans breathe a little bit because that would just be an hour and a half of holy shit. All right. Perfect. Well, let's, uh,
3: <laughs> sorry. I was, I was trying to lay out there. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think it'll be a nice little fun match.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Um, Joel, anything more to add before we move on here? <sighs>
2: Uh, no, I like the idea of it as being an opener. Uh, I think that will be a good spot for it. Um, but in terms of the structure for the rest of the cards, uh, I, w- I will save my thoughts on what I think is going to happen for Omega Osprey. Um, uh, but yeah, let's move on.
1: Perfect. Now, next up, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll touch on this really quick because this this is somewhat in the realm of um, New Japan, but it's also not. And that would be um, the AW Women's World Championship match, Tony Storm versus Willow Nightingale. And as uh, mentioned earlier, uh, this likely was going to be um, that's Mercedes Monet in this spot instead of Willow Nightingale, but obviously she ha- uh, had the broken ankle. Uh, against willow in the (laughs) inaugural strong women's world title match and this has kind of been building up a little bit on aw television i think this could be really good um you have the the snarmy heel tony storm and willow nightingale just the bubbly baby face but they both are strong fighters and i think this could be a really really fun matchup um obviously disappointment with no Monet on the show, but, uh, Joel, uh, do you have any thoughts here with Tony Storm and Willow Nightingale?
2: Yeah, it's a really good match on paper. I, I really like what I saw from Willow Nightingale at the last strong show. Uh, obviously the plan was not for her to be the, the strong women's champion initially. And they called an audible with that, but, uh, perfectly serviceable person to be holding the belt in the interim. It's just, um, an interesting spot they find themselves in in terms of the the booking for that title because if I uh, if i'm not mistaken willow's title is not on the line um so correct would that necessarily mean then that if she loses that she's forced to defend that at some point or maybe just no one gives a shit? like it wouldn't be the first time that new japan create a brand new singles title uh plonk it on someone who works for a different promotion and then we don't see it again for six months. So. Um, not going to be losing sleep over that one, but uh, yeah, probably the most interesting uh, and high quality match they could have put on that would satisf- well vaguely satisfy the criteria of uh, some sort of cross promotional factors.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on the cross promotional factor. I'm what really fascinated me me here is why the strong title was not put on the line, and it's only Tony Storm's title is and I obviously I don't think you can have Willow Nightingale win here. I just with the context of what the story is with Tony storm and then the potential of her versus Jamie Hader, um, at all in at Wembley. Uh, but it, it just feels odd that the, the one title is, um, only bit, um, up for grabs, especially because like last year you had uh, a match with multiple titles up, up for grabs with the, the tag team titles. Um, which I find very interesting. Neither tag team champions as of right now are booked on the show. Um, it's, it, it, it's peculiar to me, but at the same time, I don't really think it's a big deal. Um, any they thoughts? Forgot, they
2: forgot the title existed at one point. you know, in, in eight months, Nightingale was going to find that uh, championship belt down the back of her sofa collecting dust and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. So it was uh, fun. Yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't overthink that too much. All right. Yeah,
3: yeah. I, I mean it's entirely because they don't want uh, Tony to have the title, and they uh, don't want her to lose to Willow. So this is a just a compromise match. There we go. Uh, file under shit happens.
1: Uh, speaking of filing under shit happens, what a what an interesting way to get here. We have a four way match with three champions, but only one title is on the line: with the AEW International Titles. Orange Cassidy defends against the three men. That he competed with on Wednesday night's Dynamite, um, in a tag team match, and that would be his partner Cassidy or Shibata, and then his opponents Zach Saber Jr. and Daniel Garcia. I'm a little disappointed that this is a four way match that you don't get Shaba or uh, you, you don't get Zach Saber Jr. versus Orange Cassidy one on one. But if there's one thing that I've noticed with Orange Cassidy matches. They always deliver no matter what you put in front of him, just because he he's able to make it work with just about everyone. And the styles of these four individuals, I think, could mesh very, very well. You have the submission element, you have just the pure striking, you have that orange cassidy with he has a lot of really nice counters, especially with like the, those tornado DDTs. He's got the, the Superman punch, the orange punch, I guess you could say. This this could be a lot of fun disappointing it's not a one-on-one but at the same time AEW has shown to really deliver with a lot of these multi-man matches so it this could be this is very fun Joel when you take a look at this um two questions for you one are you a little bit surprised that Katsuyori Shibata is wrestling in a in a standard wrestling match on a New Japan show and where where do you see this going as far as a um a finish like because it could they potentially have Orange Cassidy lose here? And I think those are the two real intriguing things for me.
2: I don't think so. I think we, we were discussing this on the Slack yesterday that it felt in doing a, an OC versus ZSJ singles match, they sort of put themselves into a corner. Uh, again, similar situations we talked about before with Orange Cassidy holding a singles title and Zach holding a singles title. So this is... know a bit of a cop out to to have the four-way i think it's not going to shock anyone if daniel garcia is there to to take the pin from orange cassidy um but you know that said as much as i was looking forward to the potential one-on-one match between cassidy and zach um and, and i should say that cassidy really won me over last year when the osprey versus oc match was announced i think a lot of new japan fans myself included were like what the fuck?" and uh very dismissive of it but it was a really really fun match so i'm going into it a lot more open-minded i think it's going to be a ton of fun as you say these these multi-man matches and the multi-way matches are usually executed very well and we don't get to see those sorts of matches all the time in new japan so i like the variety i like that we're going to get something a bit different outside of the usual new japan house style um so yeah i'm imagining oc wins and pins daniel garcia how strange is it to see shibata i mean every time he comes out on an AEW show and they've got the new japan logo with him i think come on come on really are we still calling him a new japan wrestler at this point um i mean who knows what the fuck is going on there it, it makes me sad and it's really confusing we'd all love to see him wrestling back in japan i don't know if it's an insurance issue or what but i'm not going to relitigate that for the millionth time i'm just uh, grateful that we're going to see him do some wrestling
3: Yeah, this match, uh, I I think it'll be better than probably should be. Um, And uh, it it should be fun. Uh, It's a nice little way to get a couple more people on the card, uh, like Daniel Garcia, who I think otherwise would have been squeezed out. But, you know, we got to keep the the get young people over title on Zack Sabre Jr. to, you know, continue New Japan's attempts to get young people over. Uh, Never mind his actual age. And uh, yeah, um, it should be a fun time. I think uh, this is a very intriguing match. I wonder if they actually.
1: Um, if they actually take the belt off of Orange Cassidy, because or, I, I don't think they're going to give it to Zach Sabre Jr. They could give it to Shibata and he could be a double champion for a little bit, but I don't see that either. But to me, it feels like if they're going to do anything, it would be Daniel Garcia. But. At the I don't the think game, it's
3: gonna be this match. It doesn't I, feel right.
1: I don't think it will be either, but I I still have an element of doubt. And that element of doubt is what's really fascinating here for me. And um I'm I'm excited to watch it because this is gonna be a lot of fun. We had a couple multi man matches last year that and as Joel alluded to, like that they delivered, and I think this one is going to deliver here as well. But I think we should really get to the the meat of the card here. And let's start off here. AW World title, MJF versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. And MJF calling New Japan a rinky-dink indie fed in Japan was one of the most perfect lines I've ever heard come out of MJF because he has no reverence or respect for his character does for anything um, in overseas in Japan. Uh, He's a snarmy territory guy who... Who would just is obsessed with like mid south and um, mid Atlantic and all all the old school territories like Jim Crockett promotions and Tanahashi obviously being the standard bearer for New Japan and he has been for a, a good like a good twenty years. Um, I think this is kind of the, the perfect match, and to me, I, I I don't see Hiroshi Tanahashi winning, but because it's Tanahashi, you have that little shred of doubt in the back of your head that maybe they'll pull the trigger here. And it, he he still, even with his broken down body, MHG one season, let's be honest, who knows how really broken down it is. We'll find out in a few weeks. You just, you, it feels like anything could happen. And Joel, it, this feels like the perfect challenger for MJF for a multitude of reasons. And uh, I, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts here, because this, I think this match is going to be, structured in a very interesting way that's going to make itself completely different from the rest of the card
2: yeah i mean i predicted that we were going to get this match a few months ago unless you know not a a, a nostradamus like take from me i think a lot of people did because tanahashi is just that very easy pick for a guy who is a big name is a big star he can put on a good match for now at least uh, and can easily take a loss without suffering as a result of that so yeah, it makes complete sense. It makes sense for the story. He's the New Japan stalwart who's defending the pride of the company in the face of uh, the the arrogant and and dismissive heel. So I disagree with you. I don't think there's any chance of Tanahashi winning this. I, if they get me to bite on any of the near falls, they will have done a, a terrific job because I think it's an absolute formality that MGF wins this. Uh, but I just I hope that we get a spot somewhere in the match where Tanahashi gives MGF. A good hard slap and knock the the taste out of his mouth for saying all those terrible things about new japan um i do have my worries about tanahashi he does look like he's noticeably slowing down and starting to move into dad territory so uh hopefully they don't try to do anything too ambitious here they keep it simple they just play to the the dynamics and the story and the characters rather than uh, trying to do anything too intricate because <laughs> Uh, with G1 right around the corner, I will be a shit in bricks if uh, anything happens there. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a, an easy MJF win. Uh,
1: uh, I'll say this. I don't necessarily think Tanahashi's going to win. I think you're right. It's a formality that MJF is going to, but just the sheer presence of Tanahashi, at least for me, will put a little bit of a shred of doubt that it could potentially go the way of the ace but yeah the, it, it does seem like a formality especially with um as I mentioned earlier like the jungle boys not winning the uh, IWGP title uh, There that's a negative percent chance that that's happening so I think it's probably the same for Tanahashi but just his presence in there at, will keep a shred of doubt in my head
2: Fred where are you at with this
0: Fred you're muted I'm muted.
3: What am What am I doing here? Uh, I do agree with Joel that Tana is looking more broken down these days. But having just watched a uh, Hardy Boys match last night, I can I can say that he is not fully broken down. Uh, he looked. He was able to, you know, be carryable uh, in a couple high profile singles matches. He had a what I have as a four star against Okada back at Battle in the Valley. And I think he also had a four star on my card uh, against Mike Bailey at the uh, Multiverse of whatever the hell Impact called the crossover show this year, Uh, Dollar Store Forbidden or Dollar Store uh, Forbidden Door. Um, But you know, I
2: mean,
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I think he, MJF's great. I, I really do think MJF is a fantastic in ring performer. Uh, he doesn't get enough credit for that because some of his, so much of his character is about not wrestling. Uh, but he, when he does wrestle, he has these high-profile matches that are excellent, you know? And, yes, they've come against Brian Danielson and Adam Cole and, uh, you know, the other pillars who are good in the ring if, you know, ignoring their other flaws. But I, I fully believe that he could at least get a four-star match out of what Tanahashi is in 2023. Um you know, so I think, you know, I think this will be fun. I think there'll be a good bit of shtick. And I think that works to Tana's strengths. I mean, Tana right now his biggest strengths are his charisma. You know, maybe he doesn't have knees anymore, but he still has the ability to come across as a star and opposite and, and, and as a total baby face too. So opposite MJF who is just, you know, a complete terrible heel in character. Um this could be a pretty fun match. You know, it'll be uh a middle of the card kind of thing. It'll be maybe fifteen minutes tops, but it'll be fun. I think.
1: Yeah, I, I think fun is the right word here, especially if you love old school territory wrestling. Which it, it wouldn't shock me if this match uh, was basically a carbon copy of something that from from like the late nineteen seventies, early nineteen eighties, especially from like mid south, because we know how much Tony Khan really likes mid south, and he and MJF kind of have that connection with uh, old school wrestling uh but now we're we're at the meat of the card guys and these two matches are you can call them dream matches you can call them pretty much any superlative you want and i think it would fit and we'll start here kenny omega defending the iwgp us title yes the iwgp us title does exist even though you thought it disappeared Um, He will be defending it against Will Ospreay, whom he beat for the title at Wrestle Kingdom on January the 4th. This is fascinating for a multitude of reasons. And it all starts with Will Ospreay's post-match promo at the Tokyo Dome, where he said, if he can't beat Kenny Omega within the span of a calendar year, he will quit. And how they end up continuing or concluding this story, I think is going to be really, really interesting. We're in. Kenny's home country of Canada. Obviously, Toronto is hours away from Winnipeg, but it is still his home country of Canada. And Osprey has been uh, really ripping on Canada for being uh, subpar in comparison to other places he's wrestled. And he said on Dynamite at England and Japan, as far as like more prestigious places. So having all those elements and then you also have the all in show at Wembley coming up and then a potential Tokyo Dome matchup as well. It's very interesting to see how they're going to go with this story. They, they could have Osprey win here and then they could uh, finish it up with a, a trilogy match down the line, but there is a lot of potential here. And Joel, I'll start with you. When you take a look at, um, at this match, What are your biggest takeaways going in? Because there is a lot of of major question marks as to where this can go.
2: Well, I watched Dynamite, and as soon as they had that little segment with Don Callis coming out and exchanging words with Ospreay and talking about lending his private security team, then to me that's a, a massive flashing red light that we're unlikely to get a clean finish in this match. I don't know... If it's going to be DQ or count out or some sort of interference, but it feels like some sort of dusty finish where I don't really know who wins, to be honest. But I, I think a rubber match is an inevitability, uh, quite possibly at Wembley Stadium. So, yeah, I think there's uh, going to be um, a lot of interference in this one. And I don't really mind who wins, to be honest. This is the thing. When we get into the, the dream matches uh, at the top of this card. Again, like I said, I just want to see cool matches with big stars. And I don't think, uh, well, I can only speak for myself, but I'm not going to be, like, gnashing my teeth and and throwing the whole relationship in the bin if Omega wins this again. But I think the most likely outcome is an Osprey win with some sort of interference.
1: That's interesting, because when I saw the Don Callis inclusion, I... I don't think that this is the first time that they've interacted. And Fred, you can, you can kind of correct me on that because I believe it happened on a dynamite or a rampage where they had uh, some form of interaction. Maybe it was social media, but I I think we've had this conversation before about the potential of Callus and Osprey.
3: Yeah. I, uh, I don't know if it was a direct interaction. I do know that uh, Callus has always been putting over He's always put over uh, Osprey as I get tongue-tied, sorry, uh, on commentary, very strong, like, for ever since he first came into AEW um, for his guest appearances. So, you know, I think this is a logical conclusion of what we're going to be seeing um, with these two. And, um, yeah, I mean, it should be... Uh, I, I do agree with Joel. I do agree that we are not going to see a clean finish. That's just not something that's going to happen this time around. Um, there will be some kind of... I, and I don't think it's going to be a win for uh, Osprey either. So I, I, what I imagine is it's going to be maybe some botched interference uh, where Osprey ends up mad at uh, at Callus. Uh, but yeah... Um, I, I mean this match should be amazing uh i imagine this will probably be more of a setup for the the th- you know the uh, third match down the line which means that this will big air quotes only be uh like four and three quarter stars such a disappointment um <laughs> rather than maybe the greatest match i've ever seen and uh but yeah I, i'm very excited for this i can't wait until it happens
1: i i'm very intrigued to see if they like obviously when you have the rest of these matches, having a, uh, having a non clean finish, uh, a like that, I don't think necessarily would be the worst thing in the world. But when you have a card, that's, I mean, you have a really good card, but this is essentially a two match card and having one of those to have like a messy finish, a dusty finish, um, interference, um, kind of impacting the finish. I, AW has never been afraid to use interference, and we all know that it's kind of become a meme that there's interference in nearly every single match. But when it comes to finishing a feud or like having a really big match in a feud, they don't do that that often. It's more of like on a week to week basis, they use interference as heat to continue stories going. I wonder how Tony Khan and Gato are comfortable having interference in one of the two biggest matches arguably of the calendar year um uh, it, i i'm not sold on it but i don't necessarily think it's an impossibility it just it feels like a weird spot for it even though it makes sense within the story it's uh, my brain's just fried I, I don't know but you i hope you understand where i'm coming from
2: Well, I, I would say if you're thinking, mm, is Gedo really going to allow interference?" In, <laughs> you know, top, top of the card. Like, did you see the evil title reign? <laughs> the, the evil
1: title reign aside, um, I, I yeah, you're 100% right. He's never been afraid of it. But it to me, this feels different than, like, hey, this is, like, destruction or King of Pro Wrestling. Like, this is... This is an inner promotional show where you're trying to put your absolute best foot forward in a lot of these elements. And that's where I, I, I kind of have the real hesitation and it's, we all know Gato loves Memphis and got to um, get that heat, baby. Yeah. And I, I get it, but it's, I I don't know. I, I'm just having trepidation here with having one of these top two matches have interference mar the finish, but I've been wrong before, I'll be wrong again, and that's part of the nature of this, but it's it's an intriguing element to add to this whole
3: picture. Yeah, I wouldn't be all that surprised at all, to be honest. Uh, I think it's... Uh, in- inevitability is strong, but I mean, it's well within the wheelhouse of both uh, Gato and Tony Khan to do this, so I, I wouldn't even blink, to be honest.
1: Yeah, this is going to be fascinating. Are are we all in the ballpark of we think Kenny Omega is going to end up winning this in some way, shape, or form? I think so.
2: Joel, how about you? Uh, my pick was Osprey to win through some sort of interference. But okay. I, I'm, I'm on the fence with that one. It's not something I'm going to uh, die for. I think it, it's a bit of a coin toss, to be honest, at the moment. I think when all said and done, I think Osprey is uh, – winning the us title whether it's here or if there's a rubber match down the line because uh it needs to make its way back to new japan at some point and if it's not osprey that's gonna beat omega for it then who else is it gonna be so i just think to for, for the sake of getting that title away from kenny omega uh it's gonna happen sooner or later
1: yeah and I don't think new Japan necessarily needs the title, but I really do think it should be featured a little more than it has. It has pretty much been on ice other than the Jeff Cobb match since uh, January the 5th, when uh, Omega teamed with Okada at uh, new year's dash. But one question I'll have here. And as we transition to what Excalibur, I think referred to 10 times on Wednesday night as the main event, Brian Danielson uh, versus Kazuchika Okada is which match closes the show are we certain it's going to be okada and danielson um i think omega and osprey especially with the canadian connection with omega could have has just as much of a claim um joel i'll start with you then we'll kick it to fred which match actually goes on last here
2: uh, i think it's okada danielson i've seen it doing the rounds that this is the main event i can't remember where that was actually announced it was it it's actually said that on the show that is this officially the main event?
1: He kept referencing main event, but we also knew that the technical main event of dynamite was Danielson calling out Okada. So I'm, I don't know how much of that intertwines, but it, it wouldn't shock me if this was the main event and not Omega Osprey, but it, he did. He used the word main event
2: a lot. Uh, for me, if I was booking it, I think I would have Okada Danielson as the main event, especially if Osprey Omega ends the way I think it will. I think you want to end your show with the biggest three match with a clean finish, and I think it's this one. I don't know if this is going to be the kind of thing where with Forbidden Door the company sort of take it in turns to have uh, their guys going over in the main event, but if you're subscribing to that logic, then yeah, it would make sense for Okada to win this one. Uh, I don't think it would hurt Danielson at all, and I think it. I don't think New Japan would be uh, willingly offering up Okada to be losing going into the grade one climax, where I think Okada's probably going to be one of the favourites. So, um, However, that being said, I don't really mind who wins or loses. As I said before, like, if Danielson wins this, I'm not going to be tearing my hair out and crying and, and shitting my diaper about sort of the New Japan guy losing. Like I said, I'm just excited to see uh, an honest to God dream match that, Fingers crossed, stays on the card. No one gets hurt. Um, and I'm just looking forward to it, to be honest. I don't really care who wins.
1: Fred, how about you?
2: <sighs> yeah, I mean,
3: I don't think it really matters that much. This is more uh, about being able to put on the match and the kind of celebration of wrestling that comes with it. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think it's pretty clear to me that Okada is going to end up winning it. And... Uh, Uh, I I can't even really envision Danielson uh, picking up the W. Uh, It just seems maybe there's some shenanigans along the way. Again, look at the bookers, but I I think it's pretty clear that uh, Okada will pick up the W.
1: I'm very fascinated about this match, and let me tell you, when Okada came out on Dynamite right before Danielson was about to stomp Ishii's face in, when that coin dropped, that pop, that like that's a mega star pop. That is what people think Roman Reigns gets. But that, that was a, that was a huge star pop. And I, I find it fascinating. And I'll actually ask this because Diego Garcia has a two part question, but I'll go to the second part right now. Um, would you, would you give Okada the AW world championship when new Japan starts to cycle him down? But I think the real question is, is Okada going to be cycled down anytime in the next 15 years? Like uh, other than like, Hey, we're going to cycle you down because we're going to make you balloon Okada to give Omega a run. And then um, we're going to give Jay White some shine. Like it's the the whole aspect of Okada is just fascinating because he's, he's what? 33, five, 35. He's 35. And he's, he's been wrestling at the highest level for like 12 years. Mm Mm-hmm. He's just so incredible. And I'm, I'm fascinated to kind of see how his, his arc projects. And this match, especially with Danielson, this is going to be like, I I don't get a lot of like goosebumps or like get like super amped up or like emotional with, with wrestling. I, I love wrestling, but i I become more stoic as I, I've, I've become an analyst in this space and especially in football. Um, but I was standing up. I was pacing. I had goosebumps. That, that felt special in a lot of ways. Um, And I'll, I'll answer Diego's question. I think if, if you have an opportunity to put the belt on Okada at any point in time with your partnership in New Japan, you do it because it's only going to make you stronger. It's only going to make the belt stronger and it's going to make Okada. uh, Hey, yeah, he could do a belt collector gimmick like Omega because he is, he's arguably the, the greatest wrestler of all time. And, that that's what really makes this match so fascinating for me
2: oh, i think we've all forgotten as well um that okada is holding one of the most prestigious titles there is the never openweight six-man championship so mm-hmm. yeah there's mm-hmm. no way he can he can be losing this one but uh yeah i mean you talked about oh, yeah he, absolutely uh we're talking about okada's future i mean this gimmick change he's done now has pretty much set the table for him to be doing that for the next 10, maybe even 15 years. So uh, I don't think he has moved away permanently from the title scene. Obviously, they're going to be going back to him from time to time to be the world champion, but they can really take their time with him. And his role now is to get over people like Shota, uh, Ren Narita, Suji, Kiyomir, if he's sticking around, maybe even a gay kid. He is there to be the guy to feud with the, the young up-and-comers and you know, to be that, that final test for them uh as he's doing for Osprey at the moment and I just think it's a, a really refreshing change of pace for him and case in point my favorite bit of dynamite that little smile on Okada's face when he picked up uh uh what's his name Willa Utah, and was like oh here's another uh young wrestler for me to bully <laughs> and, and <merciless."> so, <laughs> that was incredible so he, he was in his element there so yeah it's uh, a, a great change change the scenery for Okada and yeah the belt will come back to him from time to time I don't see Tony Khan ever putting his world title on someone who is not under contract to him um, mm. that would really surprise me do I think it would be a mistake? Absolutely not, I think it would be really cool if uh, more companies would take risks like that and belt up outsiders it just makes it things more fresh and interesting
1: I think the the best part about Okada um, Rainmaker we Weir Yuta in the middle of the ring was a- after Dynamite went off the air, Yuta tweeted, "Does this mean I'm out of chaos now?" And I thought that was just just a really nice piece of long term booking. <laughs> just it, it, the little things are what gets me in, in wrestling. It's just it's there's so much continuity between these two companies with a lot of different elements, and that's that's one of them because uh, Yuta obviously uh, with the best friends, and then he went over for the best of the Super Juniors in 2022. Di- those little things just make things so much better, and I greatly appreciate how these two companies pay attention to those details.
3: There's absolutely no chance that Akana gets downcycled before 2033, <laughs> unless I he guess. wants to be. I mean, like, unless he wants to be sure. But like, it just in terms of talent, like, there's no way. Even when uh, the the you know this class of young lions gets established as main eventers, and I'm a f- full blown Yoda Suji believer now. Um, yeah, you're a blaster of genes. I, I will blast. Um, watch out. Uh, I mean, there's just no way. I mean, Okada is the new Japan golden boy. And he's like in that rarefied air of like a plus plus tier, like S tier, S plus tier, whatever nerdy terminology you want to use it in new Japan K fame. And I just can't barring like a complete collapse of his body at the age of 40, which seems very unlikely. Um, I think he's just going to be a major force in that company for a long time and unlikely to uh, even have the ability to go spend six months in America with AEW unless he requested specifically.
1: Well, I mean, Japan just did get a pop-up In-N-Out burger. So if there was a pop-up one, maybe they'll get a permanent one and then it'll maybe. be a lot less appealing for him to come over to the States. Obviously, that's, that's half me and half not because he does love his In-N-Out. But oh. – Let's let's go with the premise that Okada wins, and I'm I want to start with Joel, and then go over to Fred. What's next for Brian Danielson? As far as because obviously he you spoke at length about him wanting to do all these dream matches, and especially like he wants to go down to uh, Mexico and, and wrestle Blue Panther at in Arena Mexico. Um, does he? Are there still more dream matches for him to have in New Japan? Um, does this potentially mean that they could have? a rematch at a at a bigger show in japan and danielson would go over there i i i'm very intrigued to see what it would be next for him in terms of the relationship with these two companies
2: there's been a lot of clamor from uh, new japan fans and aw fans as well to see danielson in the g1 personally i kind of like this idea of having his big showcase singles matches against top new japan guys as like a little treat that you get once and twice a year so there's so many guys he could have matches with uh i suppose Zack said junior is the next obvious one but honestly like you throw a dartboard at, uh throw, throw a dart at a dartboard with all the new japan roster in there and i would put down good money to see them wrestle brian danielson so i don't think there's uh, any chance of us uh running out of potential dream match dream crossover dream matches for him in the future just any of them, sign me up, because he's brilliant.
1: Do you think he could have the Chris Jericho arc, like when Jericho came to the company, first it was Omega, then it was Naito, and then he kind of ran the gauntlet uh, through some of like the, the big top stars, and obviously he got the win against Tanahashi in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, do you think that could be the arc for Danielson here?
2: Yeah, why not? I mean, I think the next step for him would be to wrestle on a big show in Japan, because I think the... The reception that just the Danielson video package got at Dominion was really tremendous. And I think the Japanese fans would love to see him, whether wrestling in Tokyo or Osaka. It could be uh, a Dominion. It could be a Wrestle Kingdom, whatever. You you take your pick, really. He could just fly in anytime he likes, wrestle anyone he wants. And I think that does um, big numbers in, in front of a Japanese crowd.
1: Fred, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I think there's a couple of rematches left. Uh, I think uh, Naito. I think Sabre is a pretty obvious one from the technical aspect, and uh, we nearly got it last year until it got ruined. Um, and uh, Tanahashi, I think, still qualifies. Um, that may be rapidly aging out, but we'll see um, how how my, how healthy Tanahashi can stay, because uh, it's going down pretty fast. Um uh, but in osprey, of course, I mean, Danielson osprey would be an amazing experience. Uh, short of that, I mean, I think I don't think we're ever going to get Danielson in the G1. Um, it just seems really unlikely that Tony Khan will give up Danielson for a whole month, um, even though he could really benefit from that month away in terms of AEW storylines. But also, I think there's some legitimate health concerns uh, about Danielson being able to go through a G1 because, you know, I don't know that he'll really be willing to put the brakes on and kind of make his way, you know, through uh, seven matches or however many matches. Um, And and, yeah, uh, Joel brought this up. uh, But yeah, they uh, do now have five hours of television to fill a week. And Danielson is a very valuable uh, member of that um, member of the roster for doing that, I should say.
1: So uh, I want to push back a little bit here, Fred, with the the you don't think Danielson could um, uh, survive a G1. And I'm not I, saying
3: he couldn't. I just think there's enough concerns. I mean, look at how he's been bubble wrapped for this forbidden mm-hmm. door. Yeah, I don't think he's worked a, a match in uh, weeks now. Double um, nothing was,
1: Anarchy in the Arena was the last one. Um, yeah. But I, I want to point this out because, uh, and it's something that Joel can expand on. The format of the G1 is significantly different than the G1 that a lot of us have pictured. Like, uh, your nine matches, you're basically going every other, every third day. And on your off days, uh, when there are shows, you're doing uh, multi man tags to set up the next night. So it was a real gruel- grueling grind. This year's a little different because it's four blocks you're go, you're only wrestling seven singles matches and you're not doing those multi-man tags so it's and with the new 20 minute time limit in theory if Danielson was going to survive a G1 this would be the easiest type of G1 that he would be able to survive considering what the schedule is it's less grueling it's less demanding there's more time off and i i think if you're going to do it the 32 man field is the way to do it
3: Yes, but I think we're going to see a uh, the Eddie Kingston's going to be a big test of this mm-hmm. because there's a lot of jokes uh, in the writer's slags. Yeah, about how he's going to die. Uh, <laughs> basically, his body parts are going to fly off uh, like a broken GI Joe from uh, 1987. Uh, he's going to have like one arm in one corner of the ring and a leg in the other. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a bit overblown, but also it's not that far off and. You know, if Eddie get if Eddie gets hurt, you know, I think that's going to be a major um, major thing to consider for future G1s about AEW sending people over. Um when the field was announced, you know, I saw Eddie Kingston's name first, and my thought was, well, that's a good first guy out of two for AEW to send over. Let's see who the second guy is. And then there was a second guy, it was just Eddie. And I love Eddie, but you know, um I do wish that there was more representation. I'd love to see more aw involvement in the g1 um but we got what we got yeah
2: i would also say that i think that the point about the smaller blocks doesn't really apply if it's someone who's going to go deep in the tournament because if they're going to make the quarterfinals then that's eight matches they're making the semis that's nine so uh and, and again for the market man tags during a regular 20 man g1 those guys in the blocks were not exactly uh, oh. Busting their guts to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, deliver huge work rate performances in those those preview Mighty Man matches. Total I think more job. to the point with Danielson, like as you said, like Tony Khan is not going to let him disappear for a month when he's got five hours of TV to fill week. And secondly, I think it would just be a, a waste. It would be leaving money on the table to have all these Brian Danielson singles matches. Uh, it when you know you're touring around Japan and a lot of these venues. I just think it would be a waste i think i'd rather save it for special occasions uh rather than you know burning off a load of singles matches within the space of a month where there's not going to be the crowds or the arenas to do it justice
1: yeah i i think you're spot on there it would be great to see him in a g1 but maybe it would be smarter to have him do a new japan cup where you're only going to burn off like two three or maybe four and, and you you don't even have to burn off any major ones and he can still do a tournament it could be an that in theory could be a nice uh, like a consolation prize for those who really want him in a G1 and maybe it can get Danielson's itch enough but we'll see um last question for you guys here on this forbidden door card and then we'll, we'll blow through some news and get out of here do we know the commentators um we obviously Kevin Kelly and we're gonna mention collision here in a little bit is the new lead commentator for collision but that is not going to in theory impact any of his uh work with Japan it may uh, impact his ability to be in japan sometimes but he's going to be doing excuse me both for the time being last year was what kevin kelly excalibur and i believe it was taz um, yeah. are we gonna see the same group of guys here this year as well
3: i think it's gonna be like last year where they actually cycled six different guys through they had caprice coleman out there for a bit and tony Shavani and jim ross Um, I, I just don't think it's going to be like, you'll have probably two core guys for the night and then you'll cycle in everybody's to get their little guest appearances in, um, pre-show was Excalibur Taz and Kevin Kelly. Uh, and I would not be shocked if that was, uh, the core group this year. And, you know, on top of all that, uh, Jim Ross is, I think, taking time off, though. Who knows how much time he meant when he said he was going away for a little bit with Jim Ross. That could have been like 24 hours and he'd be like, all right, my eye is still black, but I'm ready to go. And, you know, back to the commentary desk because I can't miss shows. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's just very uh, it's going to be a bunch of guests. I don't think we're going to have Ring of Honor representation this time, although I would love to have Caprice or Ian on the call for a bit uh but there i do think
1: with the pure title there that's there true a that chance
3: but it's not on the line and i i think that's usually if there's the roh title on the line then that's when they bring people in um from roh to call it uh but i do think you're going to get just about the whole compliment of announcers uh from the regular guys would i be shocked by like daddy magic popping on for the jericho match no i would not uh callus could pop in you could have uh God, I mean, there's a bunch of possibilities, but I think it'll probably be that same core.
2: Yeah, Joel, can uh, you... If we're, not, if we're not flying in Gino Gambino for donkey jokey oh. then okay, I'm put my foot through the TV and send I, I, Tony Carmelville.
1: I, I was just going to say, can you make some calls and get Gino Gambino over here? Because I would love to see his <laughs> interactions with Taz.
3: I oh, think that's oh, that a fun commentary table. Joel, are you anti-Gino Gambino?
2: No, I, I love him i think he's great okay I good good that was, uh, that was uh, pete new japan booth when i think him chris and gino is a, a really fun combination
3: yeah okay I, I wasn't sure with the foot through the tv comment uh, i love gino gambino i love the doki choki i love when he is able to come in and do a show he's a great uh great little twist on the classic 80s heel commentator thing that's kind of been run into the mud by this point but I, I think he really is able to do it well and interestingly and uh I, I love gino gambino so if we do get gino gambino for even just one match it'll all be worth it oh yeah
1: the 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 dokey chokey line is just it's it's iconic for me um i agree uh any final thoughts on the show gentlemen before we uh get some news and get out of here
3: Uh, you know, obviously it's funny that we've spent all this time talking about Forbidden and door and, you know, the, the thing that was talked about for seemingly almost an entire year of, uh, CM Punk's eventual return. We're just kind of like, yeah, it happened. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, with all this drama, there's still kind of drama surrounding it just because he is CM Punk and brawl out happened and everything. I mean, CM Punk's back and he's uh, ready to go. And, uh, We'll see for how long. I feel like I should get one of those, it's been X days since uh, last injury, only updated to last drama for AEW. Just have it ready for the show. Um, I Obviously, it'd be great if everything went well, but you know, I mean, fuck, look at the Kenta match that didn't happen. You know, and just, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know exactly why. We, you know, there's a lot of rumors. I think Joel probably knows better than I do. I'm just a schmuck with a Twitter account I don't use. Um, but I mean, it's clear to me that CM Punk gets to have his way to a certain extent, and uh, uh, unique to CM Punk in this day and age, he has a certain perception on how that way should go, I guess, would be my very polite way of putting it.
2: Yeah, I think there was a real danger that the whole buzz for Forbidden Door was about to get swallowed up by arguments over who pulled out of the (laughs) Kenseth Punk match first, so I'm yeah. really glad that they had a, a strong dynamite to get it back on track. That, uh, and both sets of fans excited. And um, I'm just lamenting the fact that because this show will be on Sunday night in North America, which would make it Monday morning for me. And I've uh, foolishly signed up to be teaching summer camp. So I'm supposed to be teaching while this show's going on. So I'm going to have to think of some way to uh, uh, finesse my way into being able to watch it live because... It's you know it feels like one of those events I don't want to watch it after the fact I want to be watching it live and you know get involved in all the the, the live chat whether that's on the Discord or the Slack or Twitter it just it feels like a, an event that you know you want to be a part of
3: yeah well I, I think the important thing is Joel uh, you said this is a science camp right physics man force equals mass times acceleration uh, you can, <laughs> it. it's time for the old uh, uh, shoot I blanked. Uh, Art Donovan how much does this fellow weigh. And then you can start calculating, you know. So
1: fun fact, when I was in high school, I I was in AP physics. And um, at the end of the year, we got to go to Valley Fair, which is like the the amusement park. So kind of think six flags. It's it's kind of the same gimmick. And while we were there, we had to actually calculate like some of like those equations like with rides. So we would go up to like on the wild thing, which is a 200 foot drop roller coaster. And find out and do calculations. And it was fascinating. Um, and there you go. That's just, just ask, uh, how much force does Ishii um, chop with? that? That's what you're gonna
3: have to get everybody to figure out. Yeah, how hard does the Ishii have to chop someone to generate Chernikov radiation?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Joel, um, it, I greatly appreciate, and I know Fred does as well, you joining us here today and it, this is it's been a lot of fun to finally get a chance to chat with you even though we've been that chatting online for years now um that your work with the super j cast and you and damon who I wish we could have gotten here today but i uh, apparently lost his number over the, the last few
2: years um just no oh, no damon damon pulled creative control he's done a punk
1: ah uh, of, of course uh, D- damon would would do a cm punk uh, but it, it's, it's been a blast talking with you and, um, it's, I, I gotta say your work with the super J cast is, um, is something I I really admire and try to incorporate with, uh, all of my doings in the world of media, because you, you guys present such a, a fun product you, while you take yourselves very seriously, you don't take yourselves seriously at all. And it's, it's just a, a special chemistry that you guys have. And it's been a blast chatting with you today.
2: No, it's been yeah. a, a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. The, the, the day you sent me those Buffalo Wild Wing sauces, you got a friend for life. So anytime you want me on the show, you just tell me when and where, and I will be here with a smile on my face. Well, uh,
1: hopefully with you saying you're moving to the UK, you, I, I, I don't think there's a beat up there yet. Uh, they have ones in Qatar and Saudi Arabia, but I don't think they have them in, in Europe yet. I think you can get the sauces there. And if you can't, it'll be a lot cheaper for me to send them to you than China. So you let me know and I'll get you the hookup anytime.
2: My guy. Love it. Thank you so
3: much. Joel. Thanks for coming on. Had a lot of fun.
2: Thank you, Fred. All right. Take care guys.
3: Take See care. Joel. All right. That was
1: Joel from the super J cast. What, what a tremendous individual he is and what a uh, treat. Yeah. A tremendous treat. And let's talk about the news before we get out of here today, because we just did an hour and a half on what could be the the greatest American pay-per-view of all time. It's, it's um, a
3: strong candidate already. Yeah, Looking let's talk good. about Sam
1: Punk. Um, we oh. talked a little bit about it. I know. <laughs> we we got to do it. it.
3: We got to do it. We got to eat our vegetables.
1: It's different now. We're not talking about it coming back. We're talking about being him being an idiot because it's yeah. bad. Um, this collision rating, 800,000, 816,000. Mm-hmm. Um, .33 in the demo, number three on the day on Saturday. And obviously, it's technically a sport but it's not a sport at the same time where it'll be fascinating to see how things kind of develop as far as what the ratings are um this is going to be really really interesting to kind of keep tabs on i think this is a really really strong rating for a saturday i want to see it go up against some of the dog days of college football and dynamite matchups like when alabama plays lsu oh it's going to get slaughtered Oh yeah, it's going to get slaughtered. But how slaughtered? How does it hold up? And I want to see what this will settle in as. If if I had to guess, five fifty point two two is where it ends up settling.
3: I uh, you mean on a week to week basis or against like the biggest game? Okay, I was going to say against like a a Bama LSU or a Bama Georgia game that it probably dip into the fours, frankly. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, Well, I'm
1: talking like a settling point. Like yeah, yeah. Dynamite settled into about 850.3 on the demo. That's kind of it. its baseline. Like that's Mm -hmm. kind of what you want to compare it to on a week-to-week basis. But I think 550.22 feels about right. Considering this is two hours that's being presented in a much more big-time way than Rampage has been.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's really, uh, I think there's a, a good chance that it'll drip down that much. I, I'm going to go six, just to lay it up a little bit, because I do think it'll be pretty strong for a while. That's I'll put a caveat on it, that Tony Khan doesn't just get bored and go back down to one A-show, which I don't think he'll do. I think he, I think he has to keep this as an A-show, frankly. Um, and of course, there's also the caveat of what if CM Punk decides that he has to murder someone backstage you know next week uh it's always a big question with him um what were your
1: thoughts on collision fred because i I
3: want to talk to you about this i thought it was a decent show but what do you think a good show even eight out of ten maybe uh what do you think about the presentation because it felt very different from dynamite
1: i love that it felt different from
3: dynamite i do too i
1: I thought it was good it it doesn't feel like they're just giving you two hours of the same programming it feels like you're getting something different within the confines of the same thing. It's like like going to McDonald's, but this McDonald's has a play place and the ice cream machine works. Like it, it feels like the same, but it's different and unique. And I really, really, really like that element where you get a little bit of everything. And the characters that you're going to see spread across these two shows and the fact that CM Punk, even though he was on Dynamite and he, he made reference to it, he's like, I'm a collision guy. I'm not even supposed to be here. Like uh, sticking another fork into the elite. Uh, and he's got to do that every second he can because he's CM Punk. But you're getting a different show and you're not getting a rehash. So one thing that always frustrated me as a kid, and I didn't really understand this, like I'd watch SmackDown and then I watch Velocity thinking, oh, I'm just getting more wrestling half the show was just recapping SmackDown. <laughs> like, and I appreciate that they're just not doing that. It's fresh wrestling television. And I really, I'm starting to worry about Tony Khan stretching himself too thin from a wrestling perspective. I like that. We're hearing that some people are getting more, their hands more on creative and that creative has been good so far. Like Brian Danielson, like give Danielson the book, man. Like, I, I don't know if he could handle it the same way Khan does, but I, I feel like he would be somebody you could trust with it. Like, I, I just worry that he's doing ring of honor television too. And he's doing five hours of AEW television. And he's a director of football ops for the Jacksonville Jaguars.
3: That's a lot.
1: Yeah. A he's lot. a busy
3: fella. There's um, someone who operates best on like nine <laughs> hours of sleep a night. I have no idea how he does it. Um, yeah uh he he needs booking help and it's good that he is uh he's found people that he can rely on to help him with that um and i don't know i, I if it's if the show is like this every week then it's going to be a great success uh, at least yeah. creatively
1: we'll see because the first rampage had christian cage v kenny omega for the impact yeah. world title uh, second
3: i think heard no,
1: first, second was cm punk
3: oh that's right you're right it got me so
1: it the, the first week did like 800,000 and then CM Punk did like, I think it was like 1.2 million and then it cratered. Yeah. I was at the worst rampage of all time because Quake at the Lake was a, an all time dynamite and then literally the worst rampage ever. Um, like I got to see the best friends versus the trust busters in the main event.
3: Oh man, that's wrong. <laughs> that's bad. Yeah.
1: That was also the infamous night where uh, Sammy Guevara um called eddie kingston a fat piece of shit oh yeah it's been ruined all that yeah um that got some heat in the building but i mean uh, when they we saw the rampage lineup a bunch of people left including um jeremy sexton bow contributor who's been on the show before he ended up leaving early because it just it wasn't very good it it stunk but uh we're gonna keep an eye on collision and it, this is going to be a fun one to watch and I, I know I won't be able to watch it every Saturday especially during football season I'm going to be watching that shit on Mondays like there's just going to be no time but it's going to be fun to keep tabs on Um Rampage was up 45% week over week 30% in the key demo Um it wait it was up 45% but it only did 423,000 I'm confused by your show notes Fred
3: Uh that is what Melzer said so Okay, uh, I I can pull up here in a bit, but yeah. Well, uh, let's just trust Meltzer. Number twelve on the day,
1: four twenty-three thousand point one three in the demo. Um, look, it's. I think they're going to be putting more into Rampage because they're going to have to. Um, I I hope Rampage just becomes WCW Saturday Night, and you just get cool nerdy matches like the four match card with like Shibata defending the Pure Title, Zack Saber Junior with the TV Title, like that kind of stuff. Just do that. Do cool things, like nerd matches. Get like give us like vikingo versus Satum Sing, like just weird stuff too. Yeah. I, I think that that could be your playground, your your area to test things out. And I'm I'm a very intrigued individual when it comes to how they're going to use Rampage moving forward because there is no darker dark elevation. This is where you can build up your Sky Blues. This is where yeah. you can really give like give jungle boy a bunch of singles matches and keep getting him more and more experience. Like, like I, I don't know if there's an equivalent to Brad Armstrong, but get a Brad Armstrong in there
3: and just let him wrestle every week. Oh, like, Tony niece, you know, I mean, oh, they, they I got, they Neese. got plenty of, uh, of fellows that would be would fit right in on a uh, Saturday night. Yes. 1996.
1: Yeah. This, this could be really fun. Um, but we'll see how things go. We're gonna keep tabs on it, and it's- I double
3: check the number and the forty-five percent or whatever I wrote in the show notes. I accidentally closed it out. Is accurate because the previous week they only had two hundred ninety-one k watching. So, oof, yeah, Roo- that's, a, that's a oof oof rating right there. Roosh and his
1: father Bestia del Ring quit AAA. They had only made a couple appearances for AAA, and they were technically freelancers they still technically are but they are done they're freelancing LA. elsewhere <laughs> yeah um that st- stuff like um irwg and uh big lucia i mean they're still going to show up in uh mexico because i mean it's roosh mm-hmm. he's arguably the biggest star in mexico and la park is begging roosh to still make the date for triple mania tijuana because they have a tag match and the Potential hair versus mask match of um, Roosh and LA Park uh, could sell out a big stadium down in Mexico, so that will be interesting to keep tabs on. I don't
3: expect him to to show the date because they quit AAA. Because I mean, they could always go back. Uh, It's AAA. This this could be a yes. It's AAA and it's Roosh. Uh, It's a very uh, Roosh way of negotiating. Um, Yeah. Just outright saying, uh, I'm gone. You need to give me more money. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if we're ever going to get this Laparca rouche match that uh, would be the biggest drawing match in Mexico in years, uh, mm-hmm. uh, just because of all the the drama around it, the fact it will almost certainly never be in CMOL because of how Roosh left CMLL and how CMLL views people that have left them, um, and uh, just Laparca being a wild card too. And AAA being a hot mess of a promotion, um, yeah, it's just absolute chaos. It, it could happen. Uh, maybe we need to get SpongeGuy from Japan in here just to drop some uh, some money to make sure it happens. But uh, you know, I I, 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 I wouldn't hold my mu- hold my breath on uh, on this occurring. It, it would be crazy if it did because uh, the ones they did a few years ago were just absolutely insane brawls. And they're both massive stars with all kinds of charisma, but mm-hmm. you know, don't don't get too excited. Also, don't get too excited about Rouge now being available for uh, Forbidden Doors in the future, because uh, he's almost certainly going to permanently live on that uh, CMLL shit list. Um, they won't want him around in New Japan like CMLL, and thus follows their requests when it comes to this kind of thing. So, even though he's not involved with Triple A at the moment, he would obviously he's not gonna be on this one but if they were booking a new one he would not be on that either uh, I I would always guarantee that
1: disappointing because it'd be cool to see the Lucha Brothers do stuff yeah. with uh, New Japan talent but that's wrestling politics um, a yeah. couple more pieces of news and then Fred's got a little surprise um, Tony and Shad Khan have showed interest in buying Bellator do they just want to compete with WWE in every facet is Tony Khan trying to be Ted Turner
3: uh, it's disruption time baby <laughs> <laughs> um he uh yeah i mean i i honestly i don't see the upside granted i don't follow mma very much but i don't see the upside in owning the number 2 mma promotion in the world at this point in time maybe you'll be able to snap up some big stars as ufc just cheaps out on paying them i think I don't that's, know. that's the play yeah i guess that would be the play but like the way their contracts are structured, it's such a fight to to get people as free agents. Um, talk about an industry that needs a union, um, which mm-hmm. would also never happen, just like wrestling. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a weird story, but I, I guess we'll see, you know.
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch um, play out. MJF is going to make his Rampage debut this week. Yeah, he's going to be on Rampage for the first time, Fred. I, th- I find that one very, very interesting. Um, but that's that's it for news. Um, mm.
3: And you? Not have- quite. Not quite. Uh, yeah. I do have one more thing, and then we got the Rampage and Collision lineups. But AEW is launching a figure fighting's mobile game or fighters mobile game where they are partnering with Immutable X, a blockchain company. So we're getting some form of friggin' NFTs. With AW just a complete waste of resources and everything. Love it. Great.
1: Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um
3: but Fred, you have a cage match game to finish the show. I do. I do. I'm gonna lay this one out for you. Um this fella has a nine point six eight as a wrestler on cage match. Oh, extremely high. Um, and here is one rating of him that is a 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta pick and choose of course to filter out the um, the obvious parts of this, but this is from a user named Porco Rosso 1. Um, it says it's a April 2022 comment and it says uh, this wrestler has deteriorated into sludge these past couple of years, beginning in 2018, slowly getting worse year over year. Uh, I remember him as a great wrestler a few equals before that, and then I watch him now and i am sadly reminded that the years of him uh, being in big matches have taken a toll on him. Uh, he simply can't have any other match other than uh, long matches with contrived kickouts of signature moves, long sequences that mean nothing because the match must reach a certain length, and an opening stanza with no bearing on the middle or end of the match. After a while it gets tiresome to look at, and with each match this person gets worse and worse.
1: Okay. Um, I have multiple guesses here. Uh, Okay. Start start with Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, That is incorrect, unfortunately. John Cena. Also incorrect. Okada. There you go. I I thought it was one of the three um, because you could honestly have talked about, like, said that exact line for almost any of them. But the down cycle, this must have been during his balloon guy
3: phase. That's it was the- April 2022, and I think Balloon Guy was a year or two before that. Was this no, during the the no. my my back hurts phase?
1: Um, no. Um,
3: so April
1: 2018 was two months before he dropped the title to Kenny Omega. That's oh, but this this 20- comment was
3: from last April, April 2022. Oh, he I, he's, I, he he. This guy declared that he was bad in 2018. From Jewish
1: yeah, Balloon Guy phase was 2018. Um, yeah, I've, right after the um. The Omega match, and then it, it lasted six months, and then he came back, brought back the trunks against Jay White. Man, uh, the back <laughs> thing. I I wonder if he just hates Prick Okada because Prick <laughs> Okada rules. Yeah, but it's also not like an epic kind of story character either.
3: Yeah, uh, April twenty twenty two, Okada was kind of a weird in between because he didn't really go like full. Jerk to the uh, young lions until I would say the past six to eight months. Um, yeah, twenty twenty two was just kind of I'm Okada, <laughs> you know, Okada. Mm-hmm. So I, I can kind of get it, but also just like he can't have good matches anymore. Is uh, is a hell of a take to have one Okada at this you know at that point in time. Yeah,
1: well, that'll do it. And this is going to be a very fun weekend for professional wrestling. You can follow the show on Twitter at Good You can uh, email the show at HungiPod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at The Real Forno. All my Vikings work at USA Today's The Vikings Wire and at Vikings First and Skull. You can uh, search that both on YouTube and your podcast feed to get all that information. You can follow Fred on Twitter at Wrestling. F- F- because Ted Turner rules and Vince McMahon sucks. You can also um, subscribe to his currently paused Patreon, because once he restarts that, you are going to want it. It's a much more analytical based view of professional wrestling. And if you want to donate to the show in the show notes, you there is a link to donate to the show and show us your appreciation for the hard work that we put in every single week to bring you guys the best AEW content that you can find enjoy forbidden door this is going to be one of the better professional wrestling shows in a long time and i'm very
3: excited uh uh, do you
1: want to do a monday show um i think i think we should and we should break down this this, uh forbidden door show because this is
3: i think i'll be able to so let's let's plan on let's do on-air production meetings this is how a professional does it right
1: on-air production meeting right before we finish the show listen
3: you're gonna get a
1: forbidden door i am crashing this (laughs) this this is gonna be a lot of fun and uh you're gonna get all of our thoughts on that show and it's it's gonna be a good time in the meantime did Did you drop the email yes i did all right good Uh, and go buy the show. If you are buying outside of the United States of America, voiceofwrestling.com slash fight helps give us a little bit of a kickback. And if you are buying in the States, um, BR live and traditional pay-per-view are the ways to do it. Don't enjoy forget it. to buy
3: early. Don't wait till the last minute.
1: Yeah. My gimmick didn't work uh, for double or nothing. So I had to buy it last minute. And luckily I didn't miss anything. Thank yeah. God I got lucky. Um, but enjoy the show. We
3: will talk to you on
0: Podcasting Network.